Jewish background. I, in fact, never went to church my entire life. Um, at the age of 34 years old, that was the very first time I ever sat my foot, sat my foot, put my foot in a church. Um, I was not raised around anything that was Christian whatsoever. Um, my mom was raised in a Southern Baptist home that was, let's say, the things she saw were hypocritical. And so because of that, she said, you know what, I'll never expose my kids to that. So for that reason, we were never exposed. We never went to church. And when I was 34 years old, praise the Lord, God intervened. Um, he had a purpose and a plan for, for my wife and I. And uh, that night changed our lives, uh, August 11, 2001. And I'll never, I'll never get over it. God took me from those, one of the most sinful people that I knew. Not that I don't have sin, not that I'm not still struggling with my flesh today, but man, God has redeemed my life and he's given me a purpose. Amen. Not worthy of it, but I sure am grateful. Amen. So today I'm going to do my best to get out of the way because I'm just a, a schmo, I'm a schmuck, I'm an idiot. You know, I'm going to do my best to relay to you guys the truth of what God's given us in this word. And God's been walking us through the book of Joshua and it has been absolutely incredible for me personally. Amen. And uh, I have learned... So much, but I'm going to ask God to direct this message that uh, the human element would be removed and that this would just come from him. So to give you a little bit of an update so that you guys know where we're coming from, uh, in the book of Joshua, this is our 32nd message. And what's happened is they've come out of the wilderness. They've now re arrived in the promised land. They've landed up in a place called Gilgal. In our, mass, in our message a few weeks ago, which was in the last message we had in Joshua, we were in chapter 5, verses 2 through 9. And we talked about in that was the people surrendered to what was called the circumcision. Now, Circumcision, hopefully you all know what that is. The message was called Making the Cut. I know that's probably not the best name, but that's just what I called it. <laughs> but it had a different message other than what you think it is. But what we saw in that was it was really referencing, talking about the spiritual circumcision that takes place in us when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.11 says this, In whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So there's a spiritual circumcision that takes place. And what we did in that message was we looked at four different elements of that circumcision. We first looked at the physical representation of what was taking place, what it meant spiritually for us. Then we looked at the tools of the circumcision. And what we saw was the sharp knives. It was directly referencing, and there's no, there's no doubt about it, that it was pointing to the Word of God. And the spiritual circumcision that takes place in our lives by way of God's Word. And that spiritual circumcision, what it's talking about is the separation. You have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit, right? The body, soul, and spirit. What happens is God is separating us from our body in that moment of circumcision. I'm no longer bound to the penalty that my body's going to face because of the sin of it, but my soul and spirit have been cut away. And that's what the aspect of the tools, what was taking place. Then there was the subjects of the circumcision, the people. And what we found was these people that were being circumcised, these were children of God, but not ones that had come out of Egypt. These were the ones that were born in the wilderness. So they had not been circumcised, yet they were faithful people. They were obedient people. They were doing all that God had asked them to do. But because they had not followed through with what God had, their expectation of what God had for them in that circumcision, they were still, though good people, though faithful people, still disobedient. And what we looked and we correlated that to is the people of today that live, live religiously, who are trying to do all the right things. They're doing all the right, the, the things, the way they live their lives and all the religious activities, yet denying the very importance of the sacrifice of our Savior. We're not saved through the work of humanity. We're saved through the work of God and only God. And what happens is though we may be good people, unfortunately we can be obedient in so many areas, but just one area be disobedient. And what we find is partial obedience is still 
still disobedience, Amen. right? And so we find that this was an aspect of them finally getting right with God. And we looked at the results of the circumcision and what it did. What it did for them was God, he described this in Joshua chapter 5, verse 9. He said this, And the Lord said unto Joshua, so following their circumcision, this is what God said, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. And what's interesting about that phrase is the reproach of Egypt was rolled off of them. The only problem was those people were never in Egypt. They were born in the wilderness. The reproach of Egypt. Egypt is a picture of sin. It's always a picture of sin in Scripture. If you go to the Bible, which is just for your own sake, go read every time that somebody goes to Egypt. Guess what? They always go down to Egypt. No one ever goes up to Egypt. They always go down. Just a little subtle thing that God mixes in there to kind of help us to have a better understanding. So today, what we're going to be looking at. So we've in the, in, in the earlier, we saw when they reached Gilgal, there were, there's three things that are going to happen there. One of the first thing that happened there was they were to set up a memorial, a memorial of stones. These 12 stones were to be gathered out of the Jordan River. Those 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel, and they'd build this big monument. And then every time they came to it, it would help them remember what God had done. So it was a memorial unto God. Then we saw the, the circumcision. Now, what we'll see is there's going to be three things that they're going to be required to do. There's three steps of obedience here in Gilgal. The third one we're going to see in our passage today, they're going to be actually taking the Passover we're going to look at what the Passover means and why it's related to this. We're also going to see that the people are going to shift from being dependent upon God. They're, they're now going to start to depend upon their new land, right? This is Canaan. This is, their, this is their new place, and they're going to find this as a means of their survival. So the message today is called Tasting the Promised Land. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for today and this, uh, this, this time where we can gather around the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit. And Lord, you know I have prayed over this message Intensely, I have studied hard, and uh, I don't want to hear from me. And uh, Lord, I do pray that today you'd help me to get out of the way. I, I want this human element to be removed from this message. Lord, if you don't show up, it's a waste of time. So, Lord, I do pray that you'll take hold of it, and Lord, that you'll speak to our hearts. Lord, help me to receive, and uh, we'll give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Joshua 5, verses 10 through 12. It says, And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the, of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel, uh, children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of, that, of Canaan that year. So we see in verse 10, what's happening is he's chronicling for us that they've taken the Passover now in Canaan. But what's interesting is they've been taking it as nomads for the last 40 years. Okay, they've been out in the wilderness. Numbers 9.5 tells us that it says, And they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at even in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So did the children of Israel. So we see that for that 40 years, they've been keeping the Passover. They've been monitoring and doing what God had asked them. But what's interesting is here, now that they're in Canaan, understand this is their promised land that was given to them generations and generations before. Many people think, well, man, it's only, it's a, what's the big deal? They were only in bondage for it's only 400 years. But recognize the fact that they were actually, before in bondage, they went to Egypt and they lived in peace with the Egyptians. Enough so that there were generation upon generation upon generation. So many of them... Uh, procreated that the Egyptians got scared of them. That's why they put them in bondage. So this aspect of them being back in their promised land is something that is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in the making. So it's a big deal. So here they are. God has fulfilled his promise to them over hundreds and hundreds of years to fulfill what he had promised that he would do. And then we look at the significance of the Passover. For those of you that went, we walked through the book of Exodus. It took us about two years to get through the book of Exodus. And, uh, but it was incredible. One of the things that we learned is the graphic depiction of what God's showing 
in the Exodus journey of the people as they, the Passover, what it actually pictures. And there's a great weight historically that goes along with that. And then in this book of Joshua, God never wastes, never does anything without a purpose. And what we find is in the book of Joshua, here we are, chapter 5, verse 10. Up to this point, we have seen the word Passover show up 17 times. It keeps being repeated a time and time again. Not that God wants us to observe the Passover. There are people that believe we should. They are wrong. But that we should never forget what the Passover represents. It is a biblical picture of deliverance. So what we find is the Bible is not just a book of history. It is, in fact, a a book of his story. It is designed and created for us to learn who God is. So when we go to the Word of God, it's not just reading dry things. These are things that took place. When I read the Old Testament, it's like a comic book, dude. I'm just like, I can see it all in my head and all the stuff going on. It's just amazing. And I hope that I'm able to bring it a little bit to life for you guys. But what we find is the Old Testament is the picture book of the Bible. There's an Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament is a picture book. The New Testament is where the principles are taught. And what you find out is the fact that God designed the two to work perfectly together. When we teach a child to read, you don't give them the word ball. What do we do? We start with a picture of a ball. Ball, ball, ball. Then you move to the Word. So guess what? God started the Old Testament, and He loaded it with pictures so we can understand all these graphic things that we've seen. And then He goes, okay, now let me show you something. All that stuff that I let happen back there, guess what? I had a purpose because I was going to teach you something here. Right? This is, this, is, this is true of the deliverance that we see in the Passover. So what's God teaching us here? We're going to see the location for the Israelites, the timing for the Israelites, the provision, and the transition. Okay? First, looking at the location. It says they are the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal. Now, we know from verse number 9 why it's called Gilgal. Okay? Verse chapter 5, verse 9 said this. We just read it. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you, okay, and because I have done that, listen, wherefore, because I just did that, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. So what he's saying is this place is named this because of what happens here. This is a place where your reproach was rolled back, where restoration was brought. So it is not only a physical location, but it is also a physical representation of spiritual restoration. It says on our sign outside of the church, a place of restoration. And we watch so many people come in here that are damaged from religion. They've got, they've got a past where they've been hurt from church or whatever else, all kinds of garbage and stupidity from humanity. And what I've seen God do is take people that are broken and restore them into a loving relationship with God. Because what happens is God's the one that gets the black eye, but God doesn't do it. <laughs> it's people. People are stupid. We make mistakes. And we've got to learn how to look beyond that and look to Him because God is the source of love. God is the source of truth. God is a source of healing. So it's not what this church has done, but it's just a matter of what the Word of God has done in us. So we learn to be dependent upon it. And so what we see here is the fact that this reproach has been rolled off of them. God has taken away this, this guilt. And as I said, they've never been to Egypt, yet that reproach was carried over from Egypt. So what's occurring here in Gilgal, threefold thing is happening. What's really cool is, as I said, it's a picture book, okay? So God's going to teach us a principle for us through the picture book. The first thing he had to do was build a memorial. What's interesting about the memorial? Well, the memorial was all about the waters of the Jordan being held packed and the people walking across on dry land, okay? Now, if you look up the word Jordan and you study it out, what you find is the word Jordan, if you break it in two halves, Jor means to spread. The word Dan means judgment. So in reality, the word Jordan means spreading judgment. 
So what happens is God, with His miraculous hand, held back judgment upon the people that they could cross over on dry land, right? And we picture that for us today. Is God storing up His judgment? God, the Bible says, He's storing up His wrath as we speak. So God is holding back judgment upon this earth. We call it the age of grace. So what we see pictured in the Jordan River is a picture of you and I in our current day and God holding back the waters of judgment. Then we shift over and we look at the, the circumcision. So the circumcision, what happened there was it was the aspect of rolling back, right? Rolling back that reproach, taking the, the guilt off of them. And we know, as I mentioned before, Egypt is a picture of sin. It's a picture of the world. And when, when they were in reproach, they were in bondage, God brought them, brought them out and carried that reproach for those that had not done things right. And what we found is the fact that God, through this circumcision, the spiritual circumcision that takes place for us at salvation, God cuts away the guilt of our past. Thank you, Jesus. He cuts away the weight and the penalties that were attached to us. Because can I tell you, if you are not saved, if you've never allowed the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your heart by faith, you are still attached to that flesh. And when you die, the penalty of that flesh, you will pay for it. But the Lord, because of his love for us, man, he said, I will go to that cross and I'll suffer that death. That I might sever that and put that penalty on me and set you free. And we have the choice. We can choose to say, no, I don't, I don't want that. I'll keep it myself. And so be it. But God says, hey, he says that he would have all to be saved and all come to the knowledge of the truth. God loves the world. That's why he died on the cross. So we see here this picture in the circumcision of, of God's forgiveness, where the separation, the division, the guilt of sin is cut away. And then we look at the Passover. The Passover is a picture of, of deliverance. What it was a deliverance from? The people were in bondage to sin. What happened? God sent Moses, a picture of Jesus Christ, who's a deliverer. And God uses a Passover lamb, which Jesus just happens to be the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And a Passover lamb was slain. And the blood of that lamb is what set them apart. It's what saved their souls. It would save them. They were going to face death in Egypt. But because of that blood, God passed over them. It is a picture of the deliverance of a born again child of God coming to Christ through the blood of Jesus Christ. So we see a picture of deliverance. So check it out. Look at the picture that's taking place at Gilgal. Why is it significant, this location? The memorial is a picture of God's grace. The circumcision is a picture of God's forgiveness. The Passover is a picture of God's deliverance. Spiritually speaking, if you're to be restored, it's because God's grace with God's forgiveness that supplies deliverance. Know that nothing is by accident. God specifically allows these events to take place for a specific purpose. He's teaching us something. There's a significance to what's taking place here. And what happens is these Israelites, what they're going to find is that they're going to continually go back to Gilgal. That's kind of like their safe place. It's got the memorial, yes. But you know what? This is the place where they remembered who God was and they made, they made a, a stance here. They got right with him. And time and time again, guess what they will do? They'll return back to that location. They'll go out and they'll fight. They'll get bloodied and beat up by the world that they're facing. And they will circle back. And guess where they're going to go? Back to that place where they can be reminded of God's goodness. And can I tell you that as born-again believers, that's God's expectation for us? That he wants us to go back to remember where it is we were when God stepped into our life and changed us? Like for me, like I said, it was August 11, 2001, man. I was wearing a pair of dirty work shorts and a dirty shirt, a wife beater tank top. I can remember it clear as a bell. And my wife was like, they're coming to a Bible study. And I was like, a what? 
I'd never opened a Bible before. I'd never been in church before. And I said, well, y'all have fun. I'm not good in school, and I don't know anything about the Bible. Just sit and listen. Happy wife, happy life. I was like, I'm not going to hear the end of this. I'm just going to sit and listen. And I sat there on the couch with my arms crossed, and I was like, all right, Bible guy, let's get this done, because i got some stuff to do. And you know what? As he started speaking, God gripped my heart, man. And I went from judging him to listening to him. And if you're judging me today, man, don't. I don't have an agenda. God's just done an amazing work in my life, and I want people to know the truth of what can happen for them. And he poured out his heart to us. And, man, that night we fell on our knees in, our, in, a, in, a, in a rented house in East Charlotte on dirty, yucky, shag carpet. But God changed our life, man. And I stood up a different man. Had a lot to learn, but God had he'd done something. And can I tell you, through my Christian life for the last 20 years, there have been many, many times when I have circled back. Not that I've gone back to that house and knocked on the door, hey, can I sit in your living room? No, I haven't done that. But mentally, have I gone back to that location? Do I remember that moment with my wife beside me praying and receiving Christ? Yes, I do. Because guess what? Life is not easy. And it will kick you in the gut time and time again. And if you don't have something to stand on and fall back on a location in your life where you know God was with you and you know in that moment, you have no doubt in that moment what God did. When you feel lost... And, just, and the world feels overwhelming to you and you feel broken. You circle back. That's what they did. That's why Gilgal was so important to them. That's why the memorial was there. Come and look at those stones. Remember what I did. That's right. God can be trusted. So that's the location. Let's look at the timing. Verse 10 said this, And they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. Now we know that from Joshua chapter number 4, that they arrived in Gilgal on the 10th day, okay? It says here in Joshua four nineteen, And the people came out of Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal on the east border of Jordan. Okay, so this observance of the Passover, okay? This is following the memorial that they built, and it's also following the circumcision. So now, that was the 10th day when they got there. This is now the 14th day. This is when they're going to keep the Passover. What's very interesting about this is the 14th day is exactly when God started their wilderness journey. Check this out. Exodus 12, verses 42 and 43. It is a night to be much observed unto the Lord from, for beginning them out, uh, for, for bringing them, that's not bringing, bringing them out from the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof. So he says, The wilderness journey started on the first month on the 14th day. And guess what? They've gone for 40 years, and God is a man of his word. And guess what he said in Numbers 14, 33? And your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years and bear bear your whoredoms and their carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. So he says it's going to be 40 years. It is 40 years to the day that the wilderness journey ends. God keeps his word. So here's the relevance of the location, the timing, and now let's consider the provision. Verse 11, and they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. So the passage tells us that following the Passover, they shift over to a new diet. But what about during the Passover? 
What do they eat during that time? Well, if we go back to Exodus, this is when it very first starts. This is the night. This is whenever the death angel is going to come through and all that's going to take place in Egypt, okay? So here we're going to hear the instructions God gives about the Passover in Exodus 12, verses 5 through 15. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of the Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the side posts and on the upper door posts of the house wherein they shall eat. And they shall eat it, the flesh, and that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden it all with water, meaning don't boil it, but roast it with fire, his head with his legs, with the pertinence thereof. And you shall, you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning, ye shall burn with fire. So it's got to be completely consumed. And thus shall ye eat of it. Thus shall you eat it, with your loins girded, so it means you've got your clothes on, your shoes are on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the Lord shall be to you for a token upon the house, and the blood shall be a, a token for you under the, upon the house wherein ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Praise the Lord. Amen. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it to a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, and you shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever, seven days. And you shall eat, there, and you shall eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your house. For whosoever eateth leaven, leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. So, we see this first seven days, they're going to eat only unleavened bread. And we know that they had the Passover meal, that lamb, the first night. But what's interesting is that the Passover of this, this time frame, this unleavened bread for the next seven days, the Passover, uh, the manna actually ceases directly after the Passover. Okay, And this is relevant in the fact that it appears that the unleavened bread, that God actually provides the unleavened bread, which is manna for the Israelites to use. This is the holy bread that he himself created now, we ask, why would it be unleavened? Why is that relevant? Okay. Now, Deuteronomy 16, verse 3 says this, Thou shalt eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days shalt thou eat unleavened bread therewith, even the bread of affliction. For thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt in haste, that thou mayest remember the day when thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt all the days of thy life. So during their wilderness time, God again gives them his bread that he created. And guess what? It just happens to be unleavened bread, pointing them back to that historic event. But when we think about unleavened bread in the New Testament, okay, remember there's always pictures in the New Testament. What do we know about that? Now, unleavened bread is referred to as, or leaven is actually referred to as sin, okay? The Lord Jesus Christ warns against the Pharisees. He warns against the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He does this in Matthew 16, Mark 8, and Luke 12. And then Paul describes leaven this way for us in 1 Corinthians 5.8. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Okay? So leaven is a representation of sin. And what we see here is God's expectation for us is that we should live our lives every single day sanctified from sin, from the world, from the flesh, and the devil. Because let me tell you, if we don't, and we just make provision for just a little bit, just a little bit of sin that we get okay with, guess what it will do? It will affect our entire life. First Corinthians 5, 6 is this, your glory is not good. 
your pride, right? Pride's the root of all sin. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. We think like when we're a little kid and we do something wrong and we get used to accustomed to kind of, you know, stealing, stealing a piece of gum turns into something else. A person who's a car thief did not start with cars. They started with something little and it infected their life. And understand it's like a disease, man. The more we can clean it out of our lives, the better off we are. So the Israelites have come out of the Passover and they've sanctified themselves. They've done exactly what God's asked them to. They did the the circumcision. They did all of this stuff. And now what's going to happen is we're going to see up to this point, recognize God's kind of treated them like children, right? He's provided every need they had. He's taken care of them step by step by step. But because of their obedience, what's happening is now God's going to sort of give them a little more responsibility over their future. And that's why the manna ceases. It says in verse 11, And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And verse 12 says this, And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. So God had provided that manna for them for 40 years. And you know what? They weren't even grateful for it. A year into it, you know what they were saying? Ugh, this manna is dry. And they were complaining about it. They were crushing it and rolling it and frying it and baking it, trying to make it into buns and pancakes and pizza, whatever they could make it into, trying to change the flavor of it. But they couldn't. It always tasted like manna because God's whole thing was he gave them the manna to sustain them, just to keep them alive because his goal was to get them to the land flowing with milk and honey. He didn't want them to be comfortable in the world. See, that's the key. That's the picture for us. We get saved. We come out of Egypt. We enter the world, the wilderness. Now, how long the wilderness is for each of us depend upon how willing we are to turn to God. Because understand, the, 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 the abundant life is not, it's not talking about, the promised land is not heaven. That's an abundant life with Christ. That's where we will walk in fellowship with God. The problem is most people get stuck in the wilderness. What happened to the majority of people that came out of the wilderness? They died in the wilderness. Of the 603,550 men over the age of 20 that came into the wilderness, two survived. Joshua and Caleb. Everyone else died in the wilderness. Because guess what? They were unwilling to let go of Egypt. And what happens to Christians is they get at, they get saved, man. Praise the Lord, we're set free. But they get into the wilderness and what do they do? Just constantly can't stop looking at the world. Man, wish I had that. Wish I had this. Wish I had that. What did the Egyptians, what did they say? Man, we remember Egypt and the, 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 the leeks and the garlic and the fish. It was so yummy. They could never let go. And what happens is God had to kill them off. And I'm telling you right now, there are most Christians will not experience the abundant life with Christ. Most will never understand what it means to be nourished by this land. Most will never understand what it means to walk in fellowship with God. God had a plan and a purpose that he said, a land flowing with milk and honey, man, it's spiritual nourishment. It's abundance. And in John 10, 10, Jesus mentions the abundant life with Christ. This is a place where we're no longer babes in Christ, who are being bottle fed by the word of God because we sit, we've got to have a Bible study that somebody's written out for us, or I've got to go and have somebody preach it to me. I've got to be taught everything about the word of God. But instead, God says, hey, would it be awesome if you become mature believers And instead of having to come and be taught everything and bottle fed, because the Bible references itself as milk, but also references itself as meat. You can't give a baby meat through a bottle. I've tried. No, I'm just kidding. I have tried. (laughs) You give them milk. But when meat time comes, what do you got to do? You got to teach them to pick up a fork and a knife and learn how to eat on their own. It's a picture of spiritual maturity that God's trying to tell us. Hey, guess what? I need you to get out of this baby stage and get to where you can feed yourself because then I can use your life. The abundant life is where we walk with God and we feed ourselves the spiritual food that he's provided for us. And the cool thing is, once we learn how to do that, we can teach other people how to eat. And that's the goal that God has for us. Which brings us to the transition. 
You guys are being so patient. I really appreciate it. Now, if I'm doing a bad job, I'm sorry. I'm doing the best I can. Verse 12 says this. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And see, we've seen the children of Israel who came out of forced slavery only to turn out and place themselves in their own slavery to their flesh because they would not let go of Egypt. And the Christians that have gotten saved, man, praise the Lord that you're set free. Praise the Lord. You're going to heaven. Praise God. But what does our life, what is our testimony? What does it do for the cause of Christ? How many people come to the Lord because of us? How many people look at how we deal with adversity and the way we trust God and walk with him and see that and get encouraged? Or how many people just see us like everybody else? Because we can't let go of the world. God says to be sanctified from the world. And understand these Israelites, they're going to struggle, man. They're all struggle. Everybody does. And we all do. Know that in the Bible, the Israelite is a picture of the individual believer, right? It's a picture of us. So we look at their story. We're looking at ourselves. It's easy to point fingers at all their failures. But hey, if we were to write all of our failures down, we go, wow, you know what? I probably should stop pointing fingers. Because guess what? That's just who we are. We're not perfect beings. But God has a plan for even the imperfect. And God, when all those that had ears to hear, those that were willing to listen, guess what he did? He continually worked with them. He provided for them. He restored them. He forgave them. And he drew them ever closer, refining their walk as they came. And when they finally got to the promised land, again, he helps them to get right, to get where they need to be with him. And then what happens? Hey, guess what? I'm going to introduce you to the abundant life. I don't need to provide manna for you guys anymore because guess what? This place is rocking. There's Burger Kings on every corner. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Man, I wish we had a Burger King around here. Does anybody else miss Burger King? Dude, I love Burger King. I got to drive all the way to Mint Hill to get a Whopper. I just did it the other day. Anyway, that's the side note. If anybody wants to start a franchise, do Burger King. Trust me. All right. But for those that would not turn their hearts, right? Those that would not. We know that they died in the wilderness. That's just, that's just what happens. And they never experienced true freedom, right? They were set free from Egypt, but because they never let go of the world or the, or the, the wilderness or, the, or Egypt, they never really experienced what God had for them. And see, there's so many Christians that have never really walked with God. They've never experienced that where they go, you know what? Man, I'm right with him. I can feel God's presence. I have a peace in my heart that I cannot explain. Not just when I go through adversity, but every single day, because guess what? I'm nourishing myself. I'm going to the word of God. And as I read it, I don't just check a box. I read a book. I read a, I read a, I read a chapter, which is such a dangerous thing to do because we can do it out of necessity, out of like, we, like we have a job. And you know what? It becomes monotonous. Right. And it becomes dead and dry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a living book that can change our hearts. And give us hope in the most hopeless situations that we could not possibly dream. And that's why it's so valuable. See, it's not about checking a box. It's about being spiritually nourished from the living word of God. The abundant life with the Lord. And that's what God's intention is for all of us. That we would not only feed upon the word of God, but that our life would then reflect it. The fact that we would live a life that's holy. And people go, ugh, holy. What is that, like be a monk? You got to live in like one of those little monk places? Be a monk guy? No. Right? I don't know. I'm, I, have no, I have no adjectives to share to that, so I'm just throwing out what's coming. <laughs> but what we see is the fact that, you know what? 
people believe that to be a truth because you know what? The world's told them that, oh, that's, that's not the way to live. Yep, right. But what you find is the fact that if we spend our whole life seeking after happiness, you know what? We never find it. We get temporary moments, good days, bad days, good days, bad days, good days, bad days, good days, bad days. It's based upon what happens to us. Happy comes from the word happenstance, which means what happens to us. I'm happy when good things happen, but guess what? When bad things happen, I'm sad. And my life is a never-ending cycle based upon the circumstances of my life. The Bible says that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. A person who walks by faith, guess what they do? In a situation that's adverse and tough and hard, because they know God's in control and because they understand that God loves them and he has a purpose and a plan even for this situation, they go, you know what? I don't like where I'm at. In fact, I hate where I'm at. But if God intends for this to happen in my life, for me to become who I need to be for him, I can walk through this with my head held high and trust God that he's going to get me through this. And on the other side of this, one day I'm going to be able to look back and I'm going to, you know what? Wow. How many of us can think of adverse situations in our life that took place and we look back on it today, and though we hated every moment of what we went through, we wouldn't change it because of who we've become. Amen. Praise the Lord. God's ways are not our ways. We may not understand what we're going through, but you know what? That's where faith comes in. Because if it was all laid out before us, we don't have to have faith. God says, you've got to learn how to trust me. Walk by faith. And a holy life, man, let me tell you what's cool about a holy life. The byproduct of a holy life is a happy life. Spend your life seeking after things of this world, trying to find fulfillment in people or things, and guess what you will do? Be empty and broken and hopeless. Why is the suicide rate so high? Because guess what? This world has turned its back on God, and they sought fulfillment in the world. You go online, and you TikTok, and you this, that, or whatever else, all these things where you're going to find satisfaction, and everybody's trying so hard to be the happy person, to put on the persona Man, if it was Heartbook instead of Facebook, and it didn't show what you wanted to show, but it showed who you were inside, yeah. I bet it'd be a lot less postings. Yeah. But everybody, Eric and I, this is a weird story, and I'm just going to share it real quick. Eric won a vacation. His wife couldn't go, so I went with him. So the two of us were on vacation together. I know it sounds weird, and it was weird when we were there. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, they're together, huh? And I'm like, no, we're not together. Uh, but the football game, all right. You know, we tried to be as tough as we could. But anyway, <laughs> on this vacation, there's these, we're watching these girls at this, this uh, what do you call those things? Beach ball, right? And we're watching these girls, and they're all dressed up, you know? And they go out to the water, and they start, and you think they're going to go play. But no, one had a phone. And she would film the girl go, and she would smile and laugh, or she go, and she would pretend that she was having fun, and the other girl would take pictures, and she goes, oh, now me. And they did that and took pictures of each other pretending to have fun, and then got done and just walked off and went back. I'm just like, what a sad state of our world today, that you, you're more happy to pretend and have people think you're happy than to actually just go have fun. And so many people live miss out on the real world trying to live a, a, a a digital world, but that's a, just a message for another day. But the point is this. We will not find peace if, without the Lord because God designed us. We have a hole. We're all born with a void in our hearts, every single Amen. one of us. Amen. And there's only one thing that fills that hole. It's not success. It's not fame. It's not sex. It's not relationships. It's not anything. It's God. Because God created us. He knows everything that we need. And it's not until that hole is filled by a relationship with Jesus Christ that we can finally find that peace and fulfillment, that joy. 
I can tell you for 34 years of my life, I lived in the world. I experienced plenty of things. I had done lots of stuff. I had done lots of travel, had nice things. But guess what? In the end, none of it was enough. None of it was enough. But when I met Jesus Christ, man, that moment, that night changed my life. And I went from having this wonder and hope and fear of what life was about, of going, oh, now, <laughs> oh, this is what it's about. Dude, this is awesome. Yep. And immediately my heart went, what about my mom? What about my dad? What about my neighbor? What about my brother? What about my friends? What about them? And I'm just telling you, man, when you really truly receive Christ, it burdens you for the world because you realize, man, I've gotten a gift that no one deserves. But, man, I've gotten it, and he's offering it to the world. And we have to look at our lives and understand the Lord describes it this way. In John 16, 33, he says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There is a peace that passeth all understanding the Bible describes. And listen, we're either a product of the world or as Christians, we're a product of this word. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be a product of the word. So we have to ask ourselves, is my life and my current life, the way that I live, is it a, is it a, is it a result or am I a product of the world's influence or am I, am, is my life and who I am today a product of the word's influence? Have I surrendered my heart to God? Now, only you or I, only you or God knows the answer to that question. I don't know where you stand. I don't know what your circumstance is. Listen, if you've never received Christ, that's where you have to start. That's where you got to get started. Because let me tell you this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ died on that cross with us in mind. And the Bible says, in that while we were yet sinners in Romans 5, 8. And I love the way that's stated. In that while we were yet sinners. While we were yet, meaning that when he's on the cross dying, while we were yet sinners in the depth of our sin, at our deepest, darkest moments, and our most awful choices, yes. God says, in that moment, I love you. Come on. And I will yes. die for you. Yes. That is a love that none of us can possibly perceive. And it's the love that's offered to the lost world every single day. But if you're saved, if you're a born-again child of God, is your life a result of spiritual nourishment from the world or from the Word? You can tell every day. Pay attention to what you consume. We're a result of what we eat. We can all probably attest to that, right? But then listen to this. God's desire is that we would turn our hearts to Him. Right? That we be dependent, dependent upon the word. And if we become dependent upon the word, as that's our spiritual food, and we cry out to God, we talk to God in prayer, we get involved in a local Bible-believing church that's going to invest in us. We have people that involve into our lives through discipleship, and we get trained biblically in how we walk with God. Man, these are the tools that God uses to shape lives. So as believers, we must surrender to these things. We must be surrendered to who God intends us to be. Jesus set the example of discipleship with his 12. Why are we all here today? Because he did his job with 12. 11 was, one was a devil. Yet look at the process of reproduction that God did in the world. Man, we're a result of that. Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. I'm almost done, guys. It says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the maturing, for the perfecting. Perfecting is what you'll find in your King James Bible. That word means maturing perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Edify means to build. 
It says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Notice, unity of the faith around the Word of God, knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, a mature man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He says, look, I've got an image in my mind of who it is you're supposed to come. I and mean, guess what? You're supposed to fulfill the image of Christ. Listen how he finishes it up in 14 and 15. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, but the slight, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive, because there's plenty out there that have got a lot of lies, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. You know what he's saying? We should look like him. We should sound like him. We should live like him. Experiencing abundant life of peace and contentment and joy with our Savior, man. God's intention for all of us. And see, most Christians, unfortunately, will never experience abundant life. They will not daily nourish themselves spiritually from the Word of God. And because of that, they'll die in the wilderness spiritually malnourished because they try to feed on the world and it will not satisfy. But because they never stopped looking at the world. And for the few that will truly turn to God will give their hearts to him and surrender. Guess what? It goes to the location where they finally come to a moment of surrender. Timing. That God will fulfill them with his word like never before. God's provision. And what happens as a result of that is through his word, his church, and godly leadership, he will mature them, transition them, to become the children of God that he created them to be. From a babe in Christ who's in need of discipleship into a soldier for the cross. <laughs> who doesn't only feed on the word of God when it's being preached to them or fed to them on a Sunday or on a Wednesday, but daily feeds themselves the word. They feast on the word of God. They go to it that they might learn, that they might grow, that it might challenge them, that it might change who they are, change their heart, and set them on fire for God's work. Because understand, we're created for the purpose that we would bring glory to God. This life, these talents, these skills, these abilities, everything God's given us. He said, guess what it's for? It's for my glory. And what happens? Because we live it for ourselves, it's hollow and empty and it does not work. And we find ourselves spinning in circles and wondering, why are we alive? Why am I here? What's my purpose? And God says, your purpose is for me. When you realize who I am and who you are to be in me. And you let me save your soul and change your life. And you feed, nourish yourself on this word. Guess what I will do? I will use your life for my glory and you'll be more fulfilled than you could ever possibly imagine. Amen. You know what it feels like when you do something nice for somebody just to do it? That little, little, that little thing you get? Man, imagine living your life every day with that as the, the fulfillment you get every day because we're walking with him. That's what God wants for us. And that we would not only know the word and we would feed on the word, but we would help others to learn as well that they might truly be able to stand and proclaim the goodness of God, as that song said, the goodness of God. And I'm telling you, when I go back to my Gilgal in that living room, I'm reminded of God's faithfulness when I'm not faithful. When I fail or when I go out in the world and it just get beat up by life, I can circle back and say, I know in whom I have believed and have persuaded that he is able to keep that he hath forgiven, that he hath committed unto me unto this day. Mm -hmm. I can walk with God 
in faith in the midst of a storm that should destroy my life, yet I can walk through it with God's strength and not my own. And understand that's what God's desire is. We would walk in fellowship with our Savior because daily we're nourishing ourselves on his word and tasting the promised land. Let's pray. Lord, you, uh, you've done work in my life, Lord, and I just want to tell you thank you up front. And uh, thank you for showing up today and uh, letting me hear from you. Uh, I don't know if anybody else got anything from today, but I know I did. And uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, you continue to work in our lives, Lord, that we would uh, truly, Lord, feast on your word and experience and taste of the promised land. For the, those that are here that uh, say that, you know what, Pastor, I got some work to do in my Christian life. I got some things I need to address with God. If that's you, amen. God's ready, willing, and able to restore you at any moment, at any time. He's there for you. And if you're here today and you say, look, I don't know where I stand with God. Listen, I understand what that feels like. 20 years ago, I didn't have a clue who God was. And somebody asked me a question. They said, David, if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? And you know what I said? I hope so. I was based on being a good person. I thought I was pretty nice. But thank God that they didn't take that answer. And they said, you know what? No, it's not that, David. There is none righteous. No, not one, the Bible says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus loves you, David. And because of your sin, that's why he went to the cross. Your sin is the thing that commits you to hell. It's the thing that, that condemns you. But because of his love for you, he died on that cross with you in mind. And he's willing to receive you right now to pay the price that you could never afford to pay. And if you would just simply by faith trust him, if you would by faith call out to him, guess what? David, he will save your soul. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't say might be saved or could be saved. It's a promise from God Almighty. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Listen, if you're here today and you say, I don't know God, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. But I'm just telling you, the reality that you don't know him. I pray that God's shown you today that you do need to know him and that he loves you desperately and he has a life for you that you can't possibly imagine. So if you're here today and you say, look, I don't know where I stand with God. I don't know if I'm saved, but I know I want to be. I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment to receive Christ as your savior. If you're here today and you say, you know what, that's not, I don't know where I stand with God. I'm going to give you a chance right now. I'm going to lead you in prayer. It's not the words of this prayer please hear this. It is not the words of this prayer that will do anything for you. The words are only for us to hear or for you to hear in your own heart. But it is the heart that God's listening to. The Bible says for the heart, for the heart, uh, for the, for the, for the heart man believe, nah, I'm just going to give another, for the heart man believeth unto righteousness, when the mouth, the mouth confession is made into salvation. God listens to the heart. Man looketh on the outward appearance and God looketh on the heart. So as God looks at your heart, that's what he's listening to. So if you want to receive him, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. You can do this in your heart and in your mind. You talk to God. This is between you and him. It doesn't require us. You have an opportunity now. He's listening. He's waiting on you. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, repeat after me in your heart and mind. You can talk to him right now. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for all that I have done wrong. I'm sorry for those that I've hurt. I've let you down. I'm asking you, Lord, to forgive me. 
I'm trusting you by faith to be my savior. That you died on the cross to pay the debt that I could not pay. I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my life, to forgive me of my sin, and give me a home in heaven. Lord, thank you for saving me. I trust you. And I'm going to learn to love you more. Help me, God, to walk with you from this day forward. For it's in Jesus' name I pray.